Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to a special edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Glenn Moore of World Soccer, and Adi Aladipo, the journalist and broadcaster. The pain is acute, terribly familiar. England have lost on penalties, again. A malignant minority of fans have disgraced the nation, again. But this time, it must be different. Let's not pursue scapegoats. Let's look to the future and the World Cup rich in promise. Let's look at the importance of the impact made by three young footballers who are to their country. Marcus Rashford has fed millions of hungry kids. Jaden Sancho and Bukayo Saka are role models in urban estates. They will come again. This is a story that's still to be fully written, isn't it, Addy? We hope so. We really do. Marcus Rashford, 23 years old. Uh, Jaden Sancho, was he 21? Bakayo Sacco, 19. These are three players I think will be in and around, if not starting for England for the next 10 years. Three very strong and proud young English players who, you know, were brave enough to step up and say, OK, look, we want to take penalties. Bakayo Sacco being the fifth penalty taker. And you think, well, that's tough, right? 19 years old being the fifth penalty taker. But that's how brave the young man is. He's had an absolutely fantastic season for Arsenal. Let's not forget, he's carried that team, a team full of superstars, and he's been brave enough to do it for them and brave enough to do it for England. Fantastic tournament. I think if you asked a lot of people, was he in your starting eleven to start for England in any of these games? Probably not. It was probably Phil Foden, maybe Jaden Sancho, Bakayo Saka as well, but he's taken his chance. And look, what Marcus Rashford's done to this country and for this country for the last sort of year and year and a half needs to be applauded and... You know, it's a shame. As soon as Marcus Rashford's penalty was missed, I knew it was coming. It was inevitable. And that's the problem, right? Me knowing it's inevitable. And then Jaden Sanchez and Bakayo Saka, and then you jump on to social media and you see the racial abuse. And you almost feel like with this country, it's kind of one step forward, two steps back. Gareth Southgate's done so much and so well to kind of unite this country. Um, it feels like it's been divided for the last year. Football and Gareth and the lads have united it. And you almost feel like after last night, it's almost been divided again. So look, very, very disappointing, very sad. But credit to those three players because, um, you know, you're listening to the broadcast team and, you know, the experienced broadcast team as well. And they're talking about the feeling of actually picking that ball up and taking those penalties and doing that long walk. And to see a 19-year-old 
being the fifth player to, to do that walk, I can only applaud him. And look, he's with a great club in Arsenal. And this is Saka I'm referring to. Great club in Arsenal. Great people at that club. And I think what Gareth Southgate's done and what he's built around this England team, I think they'll be fine. I just hope that once the Premier League starts, they get applauded when they go to, to stadiums, opposing stadiums, rather than booed like we've seen in the past. They'll be fine. They're OK. Yeah, and I suppose, Glenn, they couldn't wish for a better manager in terms of his personality, but also his personal experience. When you think about it, go back to Euro 96, he knows what happens in that situation. At least there are three players who can share the burden, if you like. On that point about Gareth Southgate's broader significance, you know, we've had the tournament now. Let's look at it in two ways, if we could, please. Firstly, let's look at him in a sporting context. How good an England manager could he become? Well, he's obviously been extremely successful already. I mean, he's broken the taboo of not reaching the semi-final for more than 20 years. Then he's broken the taboo of not reaching the final for 50 years. The next step is obviously, you know, to actually go and win one. You can only see he's um, he's obviously grown into the job. I mean, it is a difficult job. He didn't come into it with an awful lot of experience. Um, his experience, I think, as a player he's, has been more useful for him than it has been for quite a few others. I mean, he's shaped the team to try and overcome... Some issues he found when he was playing, like they were always chasing the ball and obviously had experience, his own penalty experience in those respects. And also you know, avoiding cliques, avoiding like the cult of celebrity, staying calm, bonding them together. I mean, certainly it appears to be the most bonded England team we've seen for a very long time um, and reconnecting with the fans. I mean, uh, it's been one of us, the uh, whole community is feeling that they are represented by this England team in a way they haven't felt in the past. Yeah, I mean, that, that picture I think a lot of people saw going viral with the um, the, the school in, in uh, the Muslim school in uh, Blackburn all gathered around the laptop watching it. It's quite interesting here. He's approached it from a much wider perspective than previous England managers when it was you know, mainly about the football. But also, I think as a team, we've obviously improved hugely from under his uh, command and even since the World Cup. There were echoes last night of the Croatia game in Russia, obviously scoring early, gradually getting deeper and deeper. Sometimes it isn't just down to the manager, though, that teams get deeper and deeper. I mean, we've all seen games where you've got the manager and the coach at the sideline trying to persuade the team to get up the pitch. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah even at any level, you've played in games where you get deeper and deeper, you're ahead, you're trying to hang on. And there was a, it did become a problem. They got so deep, there was no outball. I mean, Kane was the first line of defence and he was 30 yards and goal. So you win possession, you look up, there's nowhere to play it. But that's not always down to the management. And that same formation that was playing... That was being criticised as being very defensive in the first part, of the second, you know, early half of the second half, was the same eleven players in the same formation in the first half, which was attacking. Yeah, it's largely a case of where they, where those are players are on the pitch. You know, when the fullbacks dropped back, we had a five, but in the first half they pushed on and we had a three. So I think there'll be more development. There is an argument that now it's time, having got a situation where we've got a bolted-on framework, we're better at keeping the ball. Now it's time to find a way of trying to incorporate the attacking talents more. I mean, one thing that did strike me last night is that when you were looking at what the change was going to be, you were thinking the only person you're going to bring off was either Trippier or Mount in the initial substitutions. Yeah, Henderson would be like for like the swap, but in terms of changing the system, you bring off Trippier and bring on another attacking player. They weren't going to take off Sterling, though there was an argument that maybe last night wasn't his best game, perhaps you could have done. We weren't going to take off Kane, we weren't going to take off the defensive holders or just swap with like for light, and suddenly you're running out where it has to be Mount, and there wasn't actually a light for light number 10. Maybe in years to come, you know, that will come through with something like Smith Rowe, but... There will obviously be progression, and I'm confident that when you look at how the team have improved in the last two or three years under Gareth, they will continue to do so. Yeah, let's look at that 
issue of personnel in the context of the penalties i have to say i was really surprised that saka was exposed to the most pressurized position addy what about the nature of that final five why wasn't there sterling in there why wasn't Grealish put on basically with the direct job of actually taking a pen yeah, surprised me. Uh, when I saw Saka coming up and walking up, I was shocked. Obviously, look, this was pre-planned. Those five would have been the five that uh, would have almost put their hands up or, or performed in training and, and would have been chosen. I, I was shocked that Maguire took the second one and that was probably the best pen we saw all night. So that was clearly pre-planned. But Saka shouldn't be taking the fifth penalty. He really shouldn't. Um, he would have put his hand up in training and said, yes, I'm ready to take one. But that's almost a case of... Southgate and Steve Holland and the rest of the team said, OK, they remove him from that firing line. He shouldn't be taking one. Grealish should be taking that or Sterling should be taking that. I know Sterling isn't a penalty taker, but he has taken pens in the past. He's got to take that fifth one. Saka should be nowhere near it. I mean, I, to my recollection, I could be wrong. I don't think I've ever seen or he's ever taken a penalty before Saka, uh, let alone in the final of the Euro 2020 in front of 67,000 people. So he shouldn't be taking that penalty at all. And even bringing on two late subs to take penalties. I saw um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer do it for United when he bring on uh, Matter and, and Tellez, but they're experienced pros, especially Matter is. I almost feel like you need to feel the pace of the game a bit. You can't just come on with a minute to go and expect to slot them in like that. It just doesn't work for me. And it's difficult to critique Gareth Southgate because he's done so many things right in this tournament, but he got those wrong. He really did. It's got to be experienced pros in that situation. Even experienced pros, and we've all watched the game for so long, have missed penalties, but you just can't have a 19-year-old taking a fifth penalty. You, you really can't. You can't have Jaden Sancho coming on for a minute and taking a penalty as well. It just doesn't sit well with me. Look, if they score, we're not here and we're talking about it and we're celebrating it. If they miss, though, we have to dissect it. And Gareth Southgate got that one wrong. I, I don't entirely agree. I mean... The one thing that you could be guaranteed with Southgate is that there will be a huge amount of work gone into penalty taking. And it worked when in the last World Cup when we did win a penalty shootout. It worked in the Nations Cup when we won a penalty shootout. It is difficult bringing on Rio Rashford and Sancho late on. But you couldn't have brought them on that much earlier. I mean, Rashford was playing right back in the last five minutes. And did, did a pretty good job. I mean, suddenly we had a team full of attacking players on the pitch and you could still concede in the last, last, last two or three minutes. So you, there is a limited amount of time to get those players on. And I mean, I think the Ukraine game, if you remember, Ukraine tried to get some guys on just to get a feel of the tournament. The ball didn't go out for the last three minutes. They didn't get on. They just stood on the touchline waiting to get on. So it is a difficult balancing act. There would have been a huge amount of work going into working out who those five penalty takers were. I was surprised to see Saka coming up last. But there is an argument that the, young, the youngest players actually don't always sense the enormity of things and show less fear. The young players often will go out and play without fear. And Saka spent most of the tournament playing without fear. The older players tend to get more concerned. As you get older, you, in, in all walks of life, you start thinking, what if, what might happen? Of the worst players on that pitch last night, there's one player we all would have staked their mortgage on scoring, Jorginho, and he didn't. If you look at the players, in the, you know, we can go back early years of penalty shootouts, Brady, Baggio, Kempis, Patini, Waddle, all great technicians. Didn't score for the penalty spot. Mbappe missed in this tournament. Kane missed in normal time in the Denmark game. There are no, it is very, very difficult to replicate that. But the one thing that I can, I am sure that wouldn't have been left to chance. Yeah, credit to the players for stepping up. Rashford actually did all the hard work. Sent the goalkeeper the wrong way. It's a fractional thing for that one going in and going out. And as, you know, as you said, if, if that goes in, we're ahead. The pressure's back on them. We probably win it. And the margins are so, so tight. I want to look forward to next year's World Cup. But before we do, you know, it would be remiss of us not to talk about the broader implication of the behaviour last night. 
you were at Wembley, uh, Addy. Give us an, an eyewitness account of just how bad it was. It was extremely bad. I, I was lucky enough to get there early. I say lucky, some might say unlucky to get there early. I got there about 10.30 and I was doing an event initially from uh, Bots Park, which is on Wembley Way. So it's a couple of minutes away from the stadium. And I remember walking up thinking, oh, okay, I'm kind of surprised at how many people are actually here this early. And they were, and the drinks were flowing. It was all in good nature. And I'd say about an hour hour after arriving, it really started to get a bit heated. Fans were jumping on top of buses. A fan actually fell off a bus as the bus had to move because the bus was getting pillared with cans and the bus had to move. So a fan kind of fell off the bus. That didn't deter them. Um, They then started jumping on those little kind of porter huts that are made to serve food. They started jumping on that. You almost felt like they were going to go through that. And you're looking at the police thinking, okay, someone needs to stop, jump in here. But they're having to deal with other crowds and trying to segregate the Italians from the English as well. And then you're sort of seeing beer bottles and cans being thrown. And it was a very, at one stage, a very nice carnival family atmosphere. But then you kind of see like little kids having to be kind of pushed to one side and it started to get really ugly. And the police came in several times. Um, and I remember just looking and thinking, this is embarrassing. Like, you know, we've had, and we crave for these events and these tournaments to be at home um, at Wembley. And, you know, I've been there for the other games. I was there for the Denmark semi-final. It was very nice. It was, it was again, family atmosphere. And then you're starting to see people as you wake your way up to Wembley, you're starting to see a herd of people. People reported it was hundreds. I would say it was more, more close to thousands sort of running in the back exits. The stewards are just there. Look, the stewards are not police. They can only do what they can do. They're not the Avengers. They can only manage a few numbers and they're just getting pushed to the side. Female stewards getting trampled on as fans are literally running in every exit they can get in. And then when you're in a stadium, Wembley's massive. They said it was 67,000. This is why I say it was thousands of people in there without tickets. It looked near capacity in some parts of the stadium. So you know there are thousands of people in there without tickets. Babies crying, family members crying because they don't want to be around, which were hooligans. There's only one word to describe them, the hooligans. And in the end, it was disappointing. I don't want that to mar from what was a fantastic tournament, but the, it was marred. It really was. Um, there were fights after as well. And I guess UEFA are going to be looking at this. We want to obviously host the World Cup. And if you look at the events yesterday, we're far away from hosting it. Um, I had a friend that was at Leicester Square as well. And that that was awful. The scenes there were disgusting as well. There were racial elements after the game. Um, You could hear sort of monkey chants and the N-word being screamed out about the three ends that missed the penalties. So yeah, very, very disappointing, upsetting. But I don't want it to mark what was a fantastic tournament. But again, UEFA and the FA are going to have to look at this. It's a catastrophic error of uh, policing and, and stewarding and you know, intelligence, I suppose, ahead of I me. Mean, I wasn't there. I was quite glad I wasn't there as, as, this, as the day wore on. Just watching it on social media and following it, it was obvious from at least two or three o'clock that it was going to be a carnage. The Met would have been stretched by them because obviously there's stuff going on elsewhere in London. But I mean, and Wembley is quite a difficult place to police these days because it's so built up around the stadium and there's so many food and drink outlets and the residential outlets and places like Tesco's, you know, where you can walk in and pick up 24 cans of beer and walk out. So it's quite a difficult one to have that outer perimeter that you have at a lot of grounds, you know, for these big events because there are people who live there and work there you know, within that inner perimeter. But I mean, clearly it was a catastrophic failure. There were reports of people rushing the turnstiles at the semi final. Uh, yeah, and that ludicrous statement they put out that no one had got in without a ticket was just adding to the ludicrousness. I mean, it's, um, 
it was disastrous. It, uh, it went; those pieces would have gone around the world. Uh, yeah, would have um, fulfilled what lots of people think about English fans generally. I mean, the only thing is, we've seen this. Yeah, you and I, Mike, in particular, overseas that has happened to been inflicted on uh, other cities. To actually having it happening here in London might actually make one or two people sort of think, right? We, actually, we need to get on top of this and work out how to how to solve this problem because it actually is a problem coming home to here. I hope it kills off the World Cup bid in 2030, which is just a bunch of political grandstanding, and we're not going to get it. It'll probably go to South America, and if not, it'll go to someone like Spain. And that is just political grandstanding, and we're just going to waste a lot of money on it. There's no way we're ever going to get that World Cup in 2030. Yeah, I, I think if there's any decency around it today that people should say, look, you know, out of a sense of shame more than anything else, let's just forget 2030. Forget it. You know, as you said, Glenn, you know, we become... You never become inured to the sight of kids crying and families terrified and we should be it's a really easy phrase a national disgrace but that's what it is i'm going to try and accentuate the positive i think next year's world cup is really building up to perhaps be a classic what do you think addy is there an extra edge to it because it's not that long is it no it's not so when you're looking at a lot of the sides that played uh, in this tournament, and then you can stretch it further to the size that played in the Copa America. This could be the squads that just go to 2022 in Qatar. I'm excited about this England team, and that might be slightly biased being over here, but it's not just the team that we've got now, which is a very, very young team, by the way. And you can, Im- you can imagine all of these, maybe bar Jordan Henson, I still think will be in and around the squad. All of these will go to the 2022 World Cup. But then you look at the ones that are left at home and you think, OK, Trent Alexander-Arnold, is to come Mason Greenwood, who would have been part of this squad, Eberichi Eze, Curtis Jones, Emil Smith-Rowe, Fakai Tomori. It's a conveyor belt now of quality players playing at the highest level that are going to be added to this squad. So it's exciting. Um, Italian squad's exciting as well. Um, fingers crossed for us English fans that Chiellini and Bonucci are not there because those two are just too far too rock solid at the back. But then in Donnarumma, they've got a 22-year-old goalkeeper who could be the best in the world right now. They've got... Federico Chiesa, who I think looks absolutely fantastic and scored a couple of worldies in this tournament as well. The Portuguese side looks very good. And I wonder if Fernando Santos might have run his race there. I almost feel like this squad, and this is no disrespect to him, this is a manager that won the European title with Portugal, but I always feel like this squad might be past him in terms of the talent he's got and how he manages that as well. So, look, fantastic talent all over, but I think for any English fan waking up this morning... Be excited about 2022. Be excited about the young talent we've got coming through. And be excited about the average age of this squad as well, because it's one that's there for the future now. We've made progression, right? A, a semi-final of the World Cup, third in the Nations League, a final on our own patch, so to speak. Um, I'm excited for what can come in, in, what, 14 months, 15 months' time? Yeah, and I suppose we can expect English conditions, almost summer conditions in Qatar at that time of year, in sort of December. So that's another reason to believe. How do you see this team evolving, Glenn? What about Jude Bellingham? Do you think he will, over the next year or so, become a really pivotal player for England? Quite possibly. Of course, bizarrely, when the World Cup comes around, he's going to be, what, 19. Obviously, it depends how much he gets to play. He's played a lot for Dortmund in the year um, so far. Um, and he obviously has to replace somebody here. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Ideally, you would hope that with the talent coming through, this England team gets as hard to get into as the England cricket ODI team, the 20 over team, you know, because they're successful and they're winning and it becomes a hard team to get into, not for the old reasons that it used to be that they never made changes. One thing I like about Southgate uh, is he hasn't just picked 
players from the, the, the big clubs. Yeah, you've got Grealish, Rice and Phillips Pan, who, who none of them had even played Champions League football. Yeah, beforehand. And playing for, you know, you know, two Everton players in the squad. The players playing for teams that aren't, you know, winning championships and playing in the Champions League. And they and it's worked as a group. I think Sancho, we might see him a lot more of. I mean, he's obviously been great in the Bundesliga, but it does help if you're playing in the Premier League and you're you're seen regularly. I mean, there'd be more media coverage of him. Uh, there'd be, and it'd be interesting how Manchester United use him. Uh, so you, you are looking at lots of uh, potential players coming through. And you're right, I can't see... You look at the squad now. I mean, the oldest player in the squad, I think, is um, Carl Walker at 31 Walker. and Jordan Henderson at 31. I mean, Chiellini is 36. Bonucci is 34. Yeah, I know that's a slightly different position, but, I mean, uh, neither of those... Two, you know, Walker looks like he can run all day. I mean, he's still quicker than virtually everybody at 31. There are lots of possibilities. Um, we saw Djokovic you know, yesterday winning at 34. Yeah, another Grand Slam looking better than anybody in the world. So players in all sports are going on longer and longer. So we've got... This team could be the basis of a good England team for quite a long time to come. It's one of the reasons why, although it was obviously very deflating last night, there wasn't the sense that, well, we're going to wait another 55 years. You know, this team does look like it's capable of competing for trophies for quite a long period of time. I mean, we all know things can go terribly wrong very quickly, but equally, they do look like they're going to be around. Yeah, and I suppose one of the key areas of advancement, if you like, is in the defence. Harry Maguire has really come through in this tournament. John Stones probably has proved that he can excel outside the, the, the comfort bubble of Manchester City. Jordan Pickford... Addy, he's really enhanced his reputation, hasn't he? You know, in 690 minutes, he's conceded only twice, not even once in, uh, in in open play. There were an awful lot of questions around him going into the tournament, but he's answered most of them, hasn't he? He has. He's answered every single one of them. I don't think there were questions about him when he puts on that England shirt. I, I think it's these Everton performances, which might have been a bit hit and miss uh, this season. I'm a Liverpool fan and I think obviously that challenge with Virgil van Dijk really hurt me, but it would have hurt him as well. I mean, he got a lot of stick from him, stick for that challenge. And I think mentally he's been speaking to someone as well, which has been good. But I think Pickford's looked fantastic. He had a couple of hiccups, I thought, against Denmark, but he got over them very, very quickly. Um, but he's looked great, right? I mean, that Jorginho save as well. You almost felt like, okay, <laughs> it wasn't coming home, then it was. He teased us in that one. But um, I thought he's looked absolutely fantastic in this tournament. I love the way in which... He screams and barks orders. That's something I've never really got from him before. He's kicking. I don't think we ever, anyone second guesses he's kicking. He's got competition in that role, though. I spoke to Dean Henderson yesterday, and he says, Qatar 2022, you watch. So there's competition around. Uh, Sam Johnson looks fantastic as well as a goalkeeper. So there's now strength and depth in that position as well. But I think, look, I think Pickford's been outstanding. And Donnarumma, I think, got the player of the tournament. Pickford couldn't have been too far behind because he's had an absolutely fantastic tournament as well. Mm. Who do you see, Glenn, as emerging uh, amongst the favourites in Qatar? Well, you're probably looking at the usual suspects. I mean, there's a feeling that Belgium maybe have shot their bolt. Uh, they've got some young players coming through as well. The interesting thing about Qatar, I mean, obviously all sorts of questions can be asked about why it's being staged in Qatar and how they won the bid and whether it should ever be there. Um, but clearly we're now at a stage where it will be there. It will be effectively a neutral territory. The only one I can think of similar is Japan, uh, or I suppose South Africa as well. I mean, where you're looking at... The established nations from Europe and South America will be comp not, not competing at home. So it's, it's much more of an open field in that respect. I mean, I think Germany winning in Brazil are the only team to win in the other the other's territories, it were since Brazil in 58. 
So it can be quite interesting. But you're looking at the usual suspects. I mean, Italy have shown how quickly you can turn around a team under Mancini when you've got lots of good players. I mean, Germany, I think, will be there, obviously. Uh, Brazil, Argentina. It'd be very interesting to see how, having finally won something, whether that liberates Argentina, who look like they've been managed properly for the first time for many, many years, and also Messi to you know, then build on that. Yeah, because uh, as we've seen with the England team, as you get over each hurdle, you you become a bit freer. You can play without that burden of expectation on you. So I think that might help. So there's going to be quite a lot of um, Spain. They look basically a goal score short of being a very good side. Uh, as Gwyn and Balogun said beforehand, we haven't got a goalkeeper, we haven't got a goal scorer, therefore we won't win because you need those two to win a tournament. I think that was shown right in between that. They've got they're pretty good. So, so it's going to be wide open. A lot will depend on the draw. As ever, you know, uh, where you end up with, there's going to be some good sides. You would have to say it's hard to see someone unusual coming out. But you never know, given where it is, but you're looking very much at the established nations of Europe and um, South America. Yeah, let's look at, Addy, if we could, Argentina. Um, obviously, they've won their first title in 28 years and a couple of America. Uh, that's obviously going to be the perfect springboard. Obviously, and understandably, Messi's grabbed all the headlines. You know, it was only five years ago he was threatening to quit. <laughs> what about Emmy Martinez? Yeah, it's been an amazing story. It really has. Um, I spoke to a South American journalist about Emmy Martinez and they're even shocked about just where he's come from. This is a guy that was being sent out on loan after loan after loan from Arsenal, got that chance, played fantastic well, then got that move to Aston Villa. And I think you speak to Arsenal fans and I think they regret that move every single day just seeing his performances Done heroics against Colombia in the semi-final, saving penalties. I, I don't, I don't mind the bit of banter here. That had was some well, banter, by the way, wasn't it? I don't mind that. I love that. Um, that's the kind <laughs> of character he is. He's a fantastic goal. He made some really good saves yesterday in that game as well. Um, Argentina won, but Brazil had their chances, but he just kept them out. Big frame, confident, and it shows. Like you just have to keep on going. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but again, this guy was being sort of fed round the houses on loan, and no one knew who he was. And all of a sudden. We've got a goalkeeper that you could arguably say is in the top five or top six goalkeepers in the world right now. So look, credit to him, credit to Argentina as well. You know, I look at the Argentina squad, we look at them and I look at the Brazil squad as well. And as much as there are obviously going to be big threats of Qatar 2022, you don't see much young talent coming through from either anymore. Um, I was looking at this Brazilian squad and a lot of the burden was on Neymar. And you look at what they've got up front with him, Richarlison and Everton. It was like, where's the new young talent? You almost felt like it was a massive conveyor belt from Brazil talent and Argentine talent coming through. And it's just not there anymore. And even this Argentine side, Di Maria scoring, and he's part of the old generation. And Messi there and Otamendi at the back and Aguero coming off the bench. Where is this new fresh talent like we're seeing in this English squad and the Portuguese squad? So they might struggle in Qatar 2022 because I just don't see much coming through. Yeah, what about Brazil, Glenn? You know, they do seem to be missing the X factor. And let's concentrate on Neymar. Great brand. Shame about the substance? Well, he's a hell of a player, isn't he? I mean, he's had one or two issues of injuries at big events. I mean, the Brazilian World Cup, obviously, uh, the uh, one of the PSG games at the end of the season uh, hasn't helped. I guess when you've got someone that big, I mean, England, with Beckham, it's sometimes quite difficult to incorporate 
players who, who are that big within a team setup because they bring with them so much baggage, you know, both voluntarily and involuntarily. So, and you wonder how that affects the dynamic within a dressing room to an extent. I mean, we saw that at PSG, didn't we, for Pierre Brahim and Cavani. So I think it's what I mean, he has done it for Brazil. I mean, if you remember the Olympics at home, they take the Olympics much more seriously than we do. Uh, in terms of the men's game. And he did do it and he performed and they won it. And there would have been a lot of pressure on him in that tournament. So he has done it for Brazil. I mean, I know it's a quarter of a strong Olympic squad for this Olympics. I mean, Richarlison, everything would be thrilled with the fact he's going there now. One of, one of the things about, I guess, Qatar is that both for Brazil and Argentina, they've played quite a few games in the Middle East in recent years for financial reasons. So they will probably feel more at home than um, most of the European teams do when they get there. But... It's hard to say, another 18 months down the line, as long as he stays fit and injury-free. But it is, you develop this massive entourage around you, all these competing voices. And it's sometimes quite difficult for club managers and international managers. Be interesting to see how it goes with another year under Pochettino, who's, who's very good with players generally, yeah, and, and, and can deal with personalities. What about France, Addy? You know, there is genuine depth there. Mbappe probably has disappointed in this tournament. When we talk about France, we have to talk about Paul Pogba. Were his strengths and weaknesses crystallised in that mad defeat by Switzerland? You know, fantastic goal, sumptuous stuff. But he didn't have the discipline afterwards. It was as if he was sort of looking into a mirror saying, well, aren't I great, you know? It felt like that, right? I mean, the goal celebration kind of summed that up, didn't it? He didn't move very Cantona-esque of Ike. You know, that's just normal for me to hit a top corner, a top corner goal like that 30 yards out. But he switched off. And that's Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba's an interesting one. When United signed him, I almost felt like this is going to be the next Yaya Toure or the next Frank Lampard or Steven Jordan. It's it's not worked out, has it? I mean, we'll always point out to the fact that when he puts on that blue shirt of the French, he almost turns into another player. I've watched France a lot. and He's good for them, but he's not outworldly like I think some report him to be for France. He's very good, but... I think Kante takes a lot of the burden and, and, and almost carries the weight for both of them sometimes. But look, the, the French squad failed to deliver. They're clearly the most talented squad in world football, but it almost feels like a talented squad of individuals rather than a team. It's almost like, OK, individually, what can you do when you've got the ball? Mbappe, a lot of pressure put on him. Benzema, a lot of pressure, pressure put on him coming back after. He's exiled as well, but they'll be fine. I, I watched a lot of them in the under-21 tournament and yes, they didn't reached the final there, but you look at what they've got coming through and you look at Upamakano and Kanate playing for the under-21. So they've got a lot of strength in depth coming through. If not now, they'll be ready for when Qatar 2022 comes around. But Deschamps has to be strong here because, um, again, it's a lot of individual talent. We know about the infighting, the arguments in between. I remember that horrendous press conference Mbappe did where he kind of crucified Giroud there. That can't happen anymore. So they almost have to rein that in. But I think um, the French squad will still be one of the big favourites come, what, 16, 17 months' time. Yeah, they have got a capacity to press the self-destruct button, haven't they? You mentioned Belgium, Glenn. You know, so much for golden generations, I suppose. Just want to concentrate on Kevin De Bruyne. He played despite torn ankle ligaments. Now, that's admirable loyalty, but... Surely that's a questionable decision for his long-term welfare, isn't it? Extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, I guess um, strapped up, injected and so on. But yeah, long-term, you hope he won't sort of live to regret that when you try to kick a ball around with his kids when he's in his 50s. I mean, medical science is obviously uh, hugely improved and improving all the time and they have uh, great resources uh, in terms of clubs at Manchester City and De Bruyne personally to get the best of uh, treatment and so on. But... um, 
there are lots and lots of stories of old players playing when they probably shouldn't have played. I think at elite level, I mean, that's an extreme case, but elite level sport, I think most players play with some form of injury most of the time. I mean, they're all popping ibuprofen, you know, like Smarties on a regular basis. I remember a goalkeeper saying to me, he's, one of his career ambitions was to go through the season without using ibuprofen. He never got past September. But old players and lots of sports, it's, the human body isn't built to perform at that level, at that intensity, you know, the same repetitive actions over and over again. Yeah, it's not just playing. Of course, it's the training because you're doing it over and over again. You know, whether it be fast bowlers, golfers with their backs, even a sport where it basically looks relatively gentle. You know, lots of back injuries and knee injuries in golf. Same so football with the you know, contact and rugby with the contact injuries. You do wonder, but I guess if people make this pact and you hope they're well advised. And obviously, I hope this doesn't impact on De Bruyne next season and in, in years to come. Yeah. When you look at players, young players emerging, you, you sometimes get a special feeling, don't you, in your bones about a player. I, I got that in this tournament watching Pedri. I think he's going to be the new <laughs> Iniesta. Anyone stand out for you uh, that perhaps you, you know, were, were just getting acquainted with in this tournament, Addy? Yeah, loads, I think. Um, Alexander Isaac from Sweden. I thought that he was fantastic up front. You almost felt like he was sort of a one-man machine up front for Sweden at times and how the ball stuck to him. Almost reminded me a bit of Paolo Wanchop. It just had long strides and you just couldn't get the ball off him. Um, fantastic young player. But I also like Damsgaard for Denmark. Again, a player that I didn't know too much about before the tournament. And I look at the Danes as well and what they've got coming through, the under-21s as well. They're going to be... A big threat. So those two really surprised me. But I think Pedri just looks astonishing at 18. I mean, to be that comfortable on the ball is incredible. I remember that stat against the Italians where I think he didn't lose the ball once against the Italians who like to kind of really pressure. And you look at who they've got in the midfield and Verratti and Jorginho. And for him to, to almost stand up against those was fantastic. But you can't forget our young players as well. I think Bukayo Saka had a fantastic tournament, the way in which he kind of freely ran at players without no pressure. Uh, Jaden Sancho, when he came on, or so he started against Ukraine, looked really good as well. But I think Pedri looked a level above and it's going to be interesting to see what he can do in the next sort of four or five major tournaments. Because you're right, that is almost a Xavi and Iniesta combined, isn't it? And that's saying something. Yeah, I thought the other one, the other Spanish player who impressed me, Glenn, was Danny Olmo. There's a big transfer waiting to happen, isn't there? Yes, I'd seen him in the Bundesliga. He does look a good player, doesn't he? Quite clever the way he dropped deep against Italy to try and pull the centre-halves, yeah, like Kane did later on. Um, yeah, there'll be lots of people looking at me. Obviously, we all know lots of stories of players being signed on the back of a good tournament who then turn out to be not quite so good after all. These days, the scouting level of clubs is at such a level that they would be able to look a bit more deeper yeah, and say, OK, is this just a one-off a good couple of weeks or let's look at his performances over the last couple of years? I'm sure I'm sure there'll be very, very few players playing in this tournament who most of the big clubs won't have known about quite well already. I mean, a couple that caught my eye, uh, Doku, Belgium, Looks a real, you know, exciting player. Uh, Denzel Dumfries, Dutch, uh, right wing back. And uh, another Dame Mahaley. Maybe some questions about where you were playing in the team in terms of his defensive abilities, but going forward, I mean... Um, so, yeah, there were some, you know, as always, these tournaments, some exciting players. But as um, as Ali said, quite a lot of them were English. Yeah, I suppose the one thing, you know, well, actually, lest we forget the uh, the Premier League starting in 25 days, so we'll be soon back on that um, share bank. You know, going into this tournament, well, I always thought international football has to have... The relevance of international football is the competitive element of it. Frankly, I, I don't get carried away with friendlies or nations leagues. The game lives in the biggest tournaments. Does this tournament prove that 
reports of the death of international football have been exaggerated, Ali. Yeah, exaggerated, lied. The truth hasn't been told because this was a fantastic tournament. I just didn't want it to end. I, I remember sort of sitting in Wembley yesterday thinking, this is it, isn't it? This is the final game and knowing how much I'm going to miss it because it's been outstanding. And I had my... I was a bit, you know, cautious at the start. I was like, okay, this is being played all over Europe. I, I, did, I didn't think that made sense, but it, it did as well. It was good to see the colours and the sounds from the different countries hosting this as well. I, I think it's been an outstanding tournament. We've been blessed with some games. The Spain-Croatia game, that one, 5-3. You think of the Swiss and French game as well. We've had some absolutely outstanding football played in this tournament. Some crazy goals as well. I was just thinking of some of the goals of the tournaments. And you think, obviously, Patrick Schick's going to get a lot of the headlines. But Modric's goal in Scotland, in the outside of the boot. I mean, everyone said to me that Modric was done. He played like he's got four or five years left in him. Chiesa's goal against Austria was absolutely outstanding. Dolberg's goal. We've had some thrilling football. But I think the biggest positive I think we can take away from this tournament, or mine, has been the refereeing. I think the refereeing has been outstanding throughout the tournament. I mean, you mentioned what we've got coming up soon in 25 days to Premier League and how much did we kind of pull our hair out to the point where I have none left about VAR and some of the decisions and how long it took for a decision to come. Even the VAR incidents we had in this tournament, you barely heard about them. They were over so quick. And I thought the refereeing was fantastic. I really did. And I think um, it made me enjoy international football again. I got tired of the Nations League. I got tired of the friendlies. But this excites me for what we've got coming. I even, to an extent, Mike, got tired of the qualifiers for some of this because it almost felt like it was a it was a done deal, some of this qualifying stuff. But I'm excited now for Qatar because um, this excited me. Well, the qualifiers are possession as more and more teams qualify. As teams get bigger, it becomes so much easier for teams like England to always qualify. But um, I, I actually quite like the idea of the Nations League and I think it will get bigger and I think it will become more important. And now's a good time to win it when not everyone's taking it seriously. And next fix of international football is actually in October, probably international football in October, when we have the Nations League, which is hosted by Italy. Can you imagine the excitement that's going to be around that as the, the current Euro winners? They're playing Spain in Milan and then the other two teams are Belgium and France. That's a very high-quality four-team tournament which is what actually the Euro started out as a four-team tournament in terms of the hosting situation. So I, I think that's not a bad one. It's a shame we didn't win it a couple of years ago. But it w I think in time it will become a decent thing to have won, as long as they don't keep mucking around in the format because they've already messed about it once. And the other thing is, I'd agree with the referee, it's, you'd expect the referee to be quite good because these are all European referees with lots of experience with the Champions League. But it has been the way that VAR has been used with a very high bar for changing decisions. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and decisions made quite quick. I think that's been the key thing. I mean, rather than just trying to re-referee the game with the, the, the tiniest little fraction here or there, sort of like, it really had gone back to, is that a glaringly obvious mistake? No, it's a ball-line decision. We let the guy on the pitch have the, have the final say. And I think that's how it should be used. Yeah, there have been so many uplifting moments in this tournament. The most memorable one for me was actually the most haunting you know, as medical staff fought successfully to save the life of Christian Eriksen, his teammates formed a circle around him to maintain his privacy and his dignity. Now, for me, that's an unforgettable image of solidarity. It's an indication of the humanity that underpins sport in general and football in particular. The worst memory among many at Wembley last night, was the predictability of the abuse received by those who missed their penalties. 
the very worst people in England trolling some of the best. I wish I had a solution. In the meantime, thanks to Addy and Glenn for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>